Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. He's Johnny Wincott. I'm Tim Hammond. This is from the Pony Baseball on WNBF. On Friday night, May 26th, the Yard Goats played the Binghamton Rumble Ponies up in New York. When Hartford third baseman Josh Fuentes came up with the bases empty and two outs in the eighth, it was, so far, a good but unremarkable game. Ponies are 5-4, to four, top of the eighth. Binghamton was up 5-4, to four, and reliever Corey Burns was trying to protect the lead. The 1-1. I apologize for the quality of this audio. This just seems to be the way minor league baseball radio broadcasts tend to sound. And it's 1-2. and two. But what you're about to hear, I think it's safe to say, is the best-known play by a Hartford Yard Goat so far in their short history. The one-two, and he'll throw the ball, it'll roll, and he's swung. That's an out. He's swung. That's a live ball, and that is the end of the inning. This clip has been watched more than 100,000 times on YouTube. It was featured on ESPN Sports Center. The Cubs and the Rockies have played it on their jumbotrons and bloopers reels. So Burns lost his footing, but threw the ball anyway. And it rolled over the first base line, and Fuentes jokingly took a half-hearted swing, which counted. It has been called both the greatest strikeout in baseball history and the worst strikeout you'll ever see. To laughter from the crowd, Josh Fuentes has struck out. You can't overstate how goofy the play is. Corey Burns basically falls off the mound during his delivery, and as the ball rolls across the infield grass, probably 20 feet away from home plate, Josh Fuentes sarcastically swings at it for strike three, ending the inning. One, two, three, eighth, then a bizarre way to end it. I think regardless of how this game ends tonight, we just witnessed history. I mean, it has to be the, the furthest any ball has ever been away from the plate for a swinging strike yet. Corey Burns was the pitcher, Colton Pleo was the catcher, Hartford's Josh Fuentes was the hitter, and there's one other person at the center of this instant classic baseball blooper. Hey, credit to Patrick Scharschel, umpiring this game to the letter of the law. You swing on a legal pitch, that's a strike. From WMPR, this is the second first season, a behind-the-scenes podcast about the making of a baseball team on a year-long do-over. I'm Jonathan McNichol, and since I first started following minor league baseball, there's been this ongoing tension that I've felt at all the games. On the one hand, you're pretty much surrounded by people who are living their dreams. On the other hand, kind of by definition, none of those people is really happy, is really satisfied where they are. Everybody has bigger aspirations than whatever level of the minor leagues you're looking at. This applies, you have to figure, to the players, the coaches, the trainers, the radio announcers, the groundskeepers pretty much everybody involved in the actual baseball, including the umpires. The umpires, the men in black, baseball's ultimate arbiters charged with absorbing your heckles and boos, with weathering disagreements with players and coaches and managers, with the unassailable final decision about each moment of every game, with calling every swing a swing, every strike a strike, maybe even if the ball's rolling 20 feet away.
second baseman goes one way or the other, it's going to be a different call. The umpire's locker room at Dunkin' Donuts Park is under the stands along the first baseline, down behind the visitor's dugout. It's a pretty nondescript room. Three lockers along one wall, a couch, some padded folding chairs, gray walls, carpeting. I spent a few pre-games with the crew of umps that work the homestand at the end of June. Actually, the first thing, can I just have you like introduce yourself? To oh, Jacob Metz. Hi, my name is Ryan Benson. I'm an umpire in the Eastern League Professional Baseball. Uh, my name is Mike Savakinis. I'm in my sixth year professional baseball umpiring, and I'm in the East, second year in the Eastern League. One thing they do before every game is like a little quiz. Okay, we'll go roll today. We'll go, Metz, uh, who's uh, the youngest, the Double A rookie, the low man on the totem pole. He's charged with imagining an odd situation that might come up in a baseball game and trying to stump the other two guys on the crew about how the rules dictate the calls they'd have to make. Let's go first and second, one out, pop up to the first baseman, uh, runner on first, interferes with the first baseman, the ball lands foul. On this day, though, Mets and the others quizzed Uncaught. me. What do you got? Uncaught lands foul. But the runner first, first and second. First, first and, and second, second, one out. I didn't do very well. Pop up to the first baseman. Easily caught ball. The runner on first interferes with the first baseman attempting to catch it. Good God. It lands foul, uncaught. Is so the batter out at that point? The batter is not out at so that point. Yeah, you got to make the call. <laughs> I guess that's Ready what I, and... I guess that's what I think, but then what happens to the runner, too. Is the batter out at that? That's what I think. The batter's out. Batter's out? It's the person who committed the interference, the runner, who's out. Which seems obvious now, but I totally choked when they asked me the question. The foul ball just counts as a foul ball, a strike, and the at-bat continues. It's an infield fly situation, right? First and second, less than two outs. Baseball's infield fly rule gives the umpire the discretion to call a batter out on certain easily caught fly balls before a fielder actually makes the play. But the certain easily caught fly balls have to be in fair territory. So in the situation with it being a foul ball, it changes. So depending on fair or foul, that that play can be totally different things. On a fair ball, it's a double play. The batter would be out on the infield fly, and the runner would be out on the interference. Inning over. So really, they're really lucky it was a foul ball. Yeah, and that's it. How often do these kind of things really happen? Hopefully not often. <laughs> it's just good habit to stay in the rule book and stay fresh on those rules so that when something happens on the field, you can react to it. This is Darren Spagnardi. He's a field evaluator and instructor for minor league baseball umpire development. You know, in any given play, you may see a rule pop up, an interference or obstruction or, or something crazy that you know the rule, but you haven't, you've never seen in your career. It's something that happens once or twice in a career, or maybe happens once or twice a season. Like when a batter jokingly swings at a pitch that's rolling in the grass 20 feet away. But we'll get back to that. You don't know when it's going to happen. When it happens, boom, you've got to be able to pull that data from your mind and, and react and not only know the rule and how to apply it, but you have to actually signal it and sell it to where everybody believes you. Spagnardi evaluates and develops umpires in the minor leagues. He's basically a scout, but for umpires. And he talks about the umpires the way the player development guys talk about the players, too. They all have opportunities, otherwise we wouldn't have them in the system. They're all prospects. Prospect umpires. The path to the major leagues is basically the same for the umpires as it is for the players. You start at the bottom of the minors and try to work your way up and hopefully out. And these umps are all hoping to get out. The majors is the goal. We typically take our umpires and we pass them through the system slowly. 
just because the benefit to an umpire is his seasoning and how much experience he has, right? And in, and in umpiring, it's, it's it's different in the sense of we we can't skip, we can't skip leagues. An advanced player might skip a level, might get promoted right from Double A to the majors. That's not the way it works with the umps. It's almost like waiting your turn. They advance from from rookie ball through short A, long A, advanced long A, Double A, Triple A, the big leagues. Seven levels if they make it all the way to the top. So we don't want to push a guy through too fast to where he sees something he hasn't experienced and he doesn't manage the situation well. So we'll kind of like rotisserie chicken, which kind of be like really slow pass them through the system and just develop them slowly over time. And developing umpires isn't exactly about what you might think it would be about. Like, say, is the ump calling strikes strikes and balls balls? Is he calling fair balls fair and foul balls foul? Because that's what an umpire is. It's, it's how good is his judgment? Does he get his calls right? Is he, if, he, if he calls out, was the guy actually out? That is extremely important, but so much of not what I'm looking for, to be quite honest. Because, really, to be a professional minor league umpire, you've got to have world-class judgment in these split-second situations in the first place, just to get the job to begin with. I'm looking at field presence, how well they carry themselves. Are they in the gym daily? Are they, are they physically fit? Are they presenting the image of an umpire properly, or are they, are they sloppy in their, in their appearance? On the one hand, it's about being the source of authority on the field. On the other hand, it's about the umps knowing what they've got to do to be able to see the pitches and plays well enough to actually exercise their world-class judgment. I want to make sure that their skills are proper, right? Are their reactions quick? Are they accurate? Are they going out on the proper fly ball responsibilities? The things that I'm looking for is, is making sure that they're in the proper position for their calls to make the proper judgment. You know, if the ball is hit to the third baseman or to the shortstop or to the second baseman, there's a dribbler up the line between the pitcher and the first baseman. All of these things affect where the umpire needs to position himself to make an accurate call at first base. Bruce Weber is the author of As They See Him, A Fan's Travels in the Land of Umpires. And what you're supposed to do is stand 15 to 18 feet from first base and position yourself at a 90-degree angle from the presumed throw. Some of the most famous blown calls in baseball history a result of umpires not following that instruction. Don Denkinger's call in the 1985 World Series. Kim Joyce's call at the end of Galarraga, near-perfect game. He's out! No! He's safe! He is safe! He is safe at first base! I mean, these things were, they, they were very similar plays. The umpires were out of position to make those calls. My goodness. Jim Joyce said he was safe at first base. It never occurred to me that you needed to get into position to make a call like that. But uh, umpires are, are expected to adjust their position on every play. Crew chief Ryan Benson. Sometimes on close plays like steals or plays at first, if you're a little too close, it looks really quick. Like it, everything happens all at once. Where if maybe if you're a couple steps back, you see you have, have a clearer picture. So things like that are little adjustments we, we try to make every day to, to put ourselves in the best position to make a uh, the right call. And it's not just the individual umpire that's expected to adjust on every day and on every play. Each crew has to work in tandem to cover all the plays on the field at once. And at this level, those dynamics are one of the main developmental focuses. You're used to watching Major League games umpired by four-man crews, one arm for each base and one behind the plate. And so one thing you might notice about the umpires at the Yard Goats games 
is that there are only three of them. But for Benson and his crew, three's an odd number from the opposite direction. It's our first time working with three umpires. We've been working two umpires our whole careers up until now. For the first four levels of the minor leagues, the games are umpired by two-man crews a home plate umpire and a first base umpire. I think part of that is so we get to see more pitches behind the plate and switching back and forth, but it's also going to put you in a lot more a lot more situations where you might not have the best angle, so you have to kind of work harder to get the better looks. In the two-man system, you may say, you've got ball, i got runner. you you got one or the other. You add that third guy, now you have two guys. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the Go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. Waiting on you to decide what you're going to do. And you've got a fast-paced game, so they can't. You, you got your reaction's got to get so much better at each level. As the competition gets better at each level, as the players get uniformly faster and stronger, the game moves that much quicker, and the umpires have to be that much more efficient and precise. One of the places that's most apparent is at home plate. It's just kind of a different, uh, kind of different mindset. Umpire Jacob Metz. You get to the ballpark, and uh, you know you're working the plate that day, so you think you think about it. You're making however many you see, maybe 500 pitches a night calling about 200 of them so you're making 200 split second decisions versus the bases you're not but you know one of the most interesting things about baseball is the negotiation during the game among the pitcher the catcher the batters and the umpire everybody's figuring out what the umpire strike zone is this is author bruce weber again and the pitcher adjusts and catcher adjusts their targets accordingly and the batters are looking for different pitches and we're not you know you're not talking about gigantic variations you're talking about an inch or two here or an inch or two there but a lot of that determines the flow of the game we don't set up directly behind home plate we're a little bit closer to the batters in the slot they call it between first between the catcher's head and the batter somewhere in there in that area you have a good view of the plate as well as you're a lot safer back there because a lot of the foul balls straight back go right over the catcher's head or even hit the catcher in the mask a lot. Sometimes you make a call too quick, maybe it's a breaking ball or something and it looks like it's come down the middle and all of a sudden it takes a takes a left hand turn or something like a slider and you're like whoops I called that one maybe too quick. A lot of guys if you call too quick you see a play boom you're calling it and next thing you know a second later you, you process it a different way. Darren Spagnardi umpired 91 games in the major leagues before becoming an instructor and evaluator. Well, if you just slowed down to begin with, you might have processed it and got it right without anybody even knowing in your mind you had changed your, your decision a little bit. In the history of baseball, the umpire has been the traditional villain. If you go back to the 19th century when baseball was kind of a scoundrel's playground, the umpires were often in physical danger. The idea of an umpire who oversees each game is one of the things that baseball inherited from cricket where it goes back at least to the original rules of that game as established in 1788. The early umpires were paid by the home team 
and the home team generally thought that their payment to the umpires bought them favorable treatment, and it often did. And when it didn't, the umpires were run out of town. I mean, there are there are many many newspaper accounts of uh, umpires being chased or beat up or threatened. The very first written rules of baseball from the 1830s and 40s identify the umpire as an ultimate and final authority. And Weber writes in As They See Him that the umpire was originally imagined as a gentlemanly figure. Baseball drawings from the first half of the 19th century frequently show the umpire wearing a top hat and carrying a walking stick. For most of baseball history, the umpires, it's been a, this enormous tradition to boo the umpires, to tell them that they don't know what they're doing, that they always miss the calls, and that uh, you know, feeling has persisted today. The umpires are bumps. That's, uh, you know, that's it. I mean, umpires sort of understand, when they become umpires, they sort of understand that part of the job is taking abuse. And they, you know, they sort of recognize that they're, you know, they wear separate uniforms. I had one time uh, a manager, after I ejected him, it was over a steal at second. He, He went, you know, he went over to second base, pulled it out of the ground, walked off the field with it. What do you do when the guy walks away with second base? I just wait for the crowd's crew to bring another one. Yeah. My philosophy is to let them speak a little bit, let them kind of vent out and listen to their whole side of it, and then once they're kind of hopefully calmed down a little bit, explain what I saw and how, how it worked out. And um, most of the time that works for me, but then there's some times where there's nothing that you can say that could help the situation, so you, you just got to do your best to try to help him head back to where his position was, whether it's the dugout or base coach or, or a batter or something like that, and eventually they'll let you know if they're going to stay or not. Our guideline is whenever it's directed towards you, you know, so they could say, you know, like, F this, whatever, this is horse, poo, whatever, but um, anything when it's directed at you, even if they say, you're really bad, that's that's enough for, for them to go, you know, I mean, like, you stink, something like that. It doesn't even have to be that vulgar. There was one other time where a guy balls and strikes, he came out after I ejected him, did the cover the plate with the dirt and pretend he was a catcher saying you're calling all the place you don't need this stuff like that and for the fans they complain about the umpires all the time but it's half of life you know complaining is half of life's pleasure I mean. <laughs> right you know it attracts uh, officialdom attracts a certain kind of person someone who is willing uh, to see the world in you know a, a kind of dichotomous structure and is okay dividing decisions into black and white. Weber writes that umpires' decisions are instantaneous and forever, and their mistakes are unappealable and irreversible. They enjoy authority, they enjoy decision-making, they're willing to take uh, responsibility uh, for the decisions uh, for the decisions that they make. You know, a good example is the dictum that people think a tie goes to the runner. Well, it's just not true. Uh, and an umpire will tell you that. He'll say there is no such thing as a tie. Either the ball beats the runner or the runner beats the ball. You know, uh, umpires don't see the gray very much. They see outer safe. They see ball or strike. It's one or the other. And for home plate umpire Patrick Sharshall up in Binghamton, a ball 20 feet away on the infield grass looked like a swinging strike. Well, it was one and two. And, um, you know, I, I saw him. Obviously, he's kind of falling over, and then, you know, I kind of relax, and he throws it. This is Yard Goat's third baseman, Josh Fuentes, the victim of the worst strikeout you'll ever see that's also the greatest strikeout in baseball history. And I'm thinking, like, oh, man, you know, it's obviously a dead ball. I'm like, oh, yeah, let me take a swing. Thinking, like, oh, it's going to be funny. The guy's going to laugh at me, which, you know, they end up doing anyways. But, and then I look behind, and the umpire, he goes like this with his hand at, you know, the strike call. And I look at him, like, are you serious? He's like, it's a swing, man. Ball's in play. 
and I and I I didn't even have it was there was so it wasn't even anger it was so much shock and and confusion and embarrassment that I I couldn't even argue it and I just lost it in the dugout I lost it and I wasn't really mad at the umpire I was kind of mad at myself and I'm like oh my god you know I'm gonna give so much grief from that for my teammates forever and ever and it's this is gonna be a bad couple of days. <laughs> Have you gotten so much grief forever and ever? Yeah, I mean, I, it's probably once a day I hear from my teammates. Definitely right after it happened, it was like 24-7. But, um, you know, in BP, they would roll the ball on the ground and joke around and stuff like that. I know I was definitely pissed about it the first two days, but, you know, I got over it and kind of embraced it, and, you know, it was, it was hilarious. <laughs> what, do you, what do you ultimately feel like, though? Is that a swing? I mean, is that- A lot of people were telling me that since I didn't actually try to swing at the ball, that was a ball. But I, mean, I don't know who to believe anymore. It, it, was, it doesn't really matter. It's something I've never seen before. I'll yeah. tell you that. When I first saw it, I was like, "Wow, that's that's very interesting." Because we were, everyone was talking to each other, even umpires wise, be like, "You think that was right?" I mean, because that's what a check swing is, right? Did he try to hit the ball? Evaluator Darren Spagnardi. Well, that's what a check swing is all about. It's not about breaking the wrist. It's not about how far the bat head goes. It's not about anything. It's, in your opinion, did this, in your judgment, did this did this player legitimately try to hit the pitch? Sometimes just the way the rules are and how it's perceived by either players or managers, that's sometimes what the argument is over, not the call itself, but what the rule is actually saying it should be. But, so by rule, the umpire is not necessarily supported. This is an area where baseball's official rules are surprisingly vague. There's no official definition of a checked swing. There is, in fact, no official definition of a swing. The rules simply say that a swinging strike is a pitch that is struck at by the batter and is missed. The is struck at part of that has long been interpreted to mean that for a swing to be a swing, the batter has to intend for it to be a swing. He's got to really be trying to hit the ball, according to the umpire's judgment. As the umpire, you see something funny, the pitcher fell off the mound, and now the ball's rolling. You're processing the complexity of that. And as the ball rolls across the foul line, which now it becomes a legal pitch, the batter decides to swing at the pitch, whether it be sarcastic or just to be funny or cute, uh, he swings at the pitch, complicating it in the, mi- in the mind of the umpire a little bit more because we have to determine as the umpire whether or not the batter made a legitimate attempt to hit the ball. And in hindsight, it's easy to go back and say, you know what, this batter, this batter didn't make a, a legitimate attempt to hit this ball. He was just being sarcastic or whatever, being humorous, right? So, the, the, so it's, a, it's a, a play. Yeah, it's a thing where the where the rules and the situation are butting up against each other and what's in between, all that's in between, is the umpire's judgment. Exactly. So in, in that moment, he, 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 didn't, he wasn't indecisive. He points at the batter. He says he's swung. And everybody believes that that was, that was the correct call. And um, when, you, when you really dis- dissect it, technically speaking, did that batter really make an attempt to hit that ball? No. Well, guess what? It's not really a swing, then, is it? And this is, one would assume, why these guys have to stay in the rule book, as they say. You're, let's, let's go here. Or you're going to go uh, runners on first and second, two outs. It's Wednesday night around 6 o'clock, an hour before okay. game time. There's two, was one out yesterday. It's yeah. the last pregame I'm spending with this umpire crew, and Jake Metz has a new rule of the so day. First and second, two outs. Right. So no infield fly. No infield fly. So they're going to be stealing on this play. Okay. okay, so they're stealing. And he's quizzing me again. By myself this time. You have a drop third strike. Okay. Okay, so he can run. Catcher blocks the ball, attempts a tag, but misses him. Misses the tag. He then throws the ball out of play. Okay? So he overthrows the first baseman and it goes out of play. When he threw the ball, 
Both runners had touched second and third. So now you got to award bases. Where are you putting the runners? Everybody gets a base, right? Sure? I was not at all sure, and I was not at all right either. I blew it again. You wouldn't get a base. So everyone would get everyone would get two bases. But I have an excuse this time. This is my a tie goes to the runner. I've just always misunderstood this rule. The answer is the runner from first and second, they both score. So that changed because he made an a tag attempt on the batter. Had he not made a tag attempt on the batter, it would be two bases from the time of pitch. When Chuck Knobloch would throw the ball into the stands and hit Keith Olbermann's mom, and the batter would get to go to second, I thought he was being awarded an extra base after the play. Turns out he was being awarded two bases after the pitch. Who knew? Because when he attempts the tag, that's a play. It's a garbage excuse. I know. Exactly, and now it's a second play by an infielder, so it goes from the time of throw. So that's what you're going to ask these guys? I'll ask them. Are they going to get it right? I would hope so. I'd bet on it. We went back to the locker room to see about Metz's bet. What you got? Yeah. You what do you know? got? I got? Yeah, yeah. I wonder what you got. Uh, I have that's time of throw. Savakinas did better than I did, thankfully. Because that is no longer the first play by an infielder. It is the second play. It is the second play by an infielder, so it is time of the throw. Correct. So I'm scoring two runs and putting the eye on second. Told you. Yep. <laughs> he said you guys would get it. <laughs> I didn't get it. I said I'd bet on it. You're such a nice yeah. guy. That was a good teammate there. You guys know your stuff. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> it doesn't matter if we know it in here. Right? <laughs> Coming up on the second first season. Catchers do develop a little bit more slowly. I think because we're essentially asking them to do two jobs. Being a catcher is very much a full-time job. Having coached in the big leagues, you should know what a big league player looks like. They come with either cheese sauce or, like, Hershey's syrup, essentially. This episode of the second first season was edited by Jeff Cohen and Katie Tolarski. Heather Brandon is the digital editor. Katie Tolarski is the executive producer. The sports highlights in this episode featured Al Michaels on ABC and Mario Impemba and Rod Allen on Fox Sports Detroit. Our theme song is by the great Jim Chapdelaine. You can find the second first season on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're on the web at wmpr.org slash second first. You can find me on Twitter at McNicholPants. The second first season is a production of WNPR. I'm Jonathan McNichol.